we do have our uh, guest of the evening on the line. It's Billy Ripken, former Major League Baseball player, current analyst. He's an author as well. Billy, thank you so much for joining us here on Iron Sports. Oh, thank you for having me. What's up? <laughs> we were just we we're talking. We we're just talking some golf there, Billy, for a little bit. I mean, a big story of the day is you saw Mike Trout at a driving range hit the ball over the the screen. I don't know if you saw a video of that. So I think that's the mixture of baseball and uh, and golf. Uh, of course, I saw it, and then of course I saw all the articles written about is he the next two sports star? Come on, <laughs> guys. Bridge at a uh, Top Golf event. Come on. <laughs> So, uh, Billy, you have a book called Stay to Play, The Old School Guide to New School Baseball. And I read it today. I loved it. I encourage anyone to get it. It's not the tech book. Don't think you're reading Bill James' Baseball Abstract with a million stats and everything. It is a phenomenal book. And and I, and I I the first, before we start talking about the book, talk about you gave a lot of credit to your father, Cal Sr. And you sort of gave him credit saying, look, he might have been old school, but he was also new school. So explain sort of what your motivation to write the book and what, what Cal Sr. gave you in terms of your background in baseball. Well, I think Cal Sr. gave me an awful lot. And then I was able to take some of my experiences with kind of like his um, maybe oversight or how he laid the foundation and I could run with it in different directions. But the main reason I wrote the book was I just felt that over the past few years, the new school is now in charge and the new school uses these metrics and the new school uses all these analytics. And I just wanted to make a point that the old school guys have always used numbers and have always used information to come up with a plan. And I don't know if we've lost sight of that or if we never knew it, but uh, the difference between old and new is the old school guy has baseball experiences to draw from. So I just wanted to kind of get out there and I, I listen to the games now and there's so much talked about in the game that's confusing to me. I was just trying to put a little guide out there to maybe help some people if they felt the same way. Well, and I appreciate you writing this book because I had my father at a spring training game and he's always asking the traditional questions like, how many wins does this person have? And what's their batting average? And how many runs batted in? And there were like some 20 something computer nerds that were some scouts for some team behind us. And you could see them like almost looking at my dad as like a dinosaur for asking these crazy questions like, who cares about wins and who cares about these other statistics? And then I read your book and I'm like, wow, you think wins are important. You think batting average is important and runs batted in are important. I mean, we use these for 100 some years in baseball. They just didn't go away. So I like the fact that you uh, you wrote a book that sort of says, look, you can you can still look at these numbers and, and these statistics, and they are important. Yeah, and look, I'm all for more information. I really am. I'm all for new numbers, but they have to apply to the game of baseball. And for some of the new school to come in and say average doesn't matter, for some of the new school to say RBIs don't matter, total, is totally offensive to an old-school baseball guy. I don't have to look anywhere past the 2019 world champion Washington Nationals. The best hitter in the lineup, Anthony Rendon, hit third. He led the league in RBIs. The next best hitter in the, in, on the team was Juan Soto. He hit fourth, and he still drove in over 100 runs. Even though Rendon drove in the league-leading amount of RBIs. So if we need to score runs to win games, we need to have guys drive in runs, and I just don't understand how you can blindly discount the RBI or blindly discount average when more good results out of a hit than a walk any day of the week, 
and driving in runs is an important way to win games. Yeah, I liked what you talked about batting average because you said that with the new school thinking, it's just like take the walk, take the walk, take the walk. And you're like, well, sometimes if you're a good hitter, you do have to expand your range. You just don't, if you're going to hit doubles and home runs, you should really expand your range and, and, and drive in those runs. Don't just take another walk and have a hitter that's worse than you up at bat. Yeah, and the, look, the theory is, and this is not a bad mindset or theory, but the new school believes the hitter's job is to go up there and not make an out. So with that said, if you have a 400 on base percentage, you're on base 40% of the time. I get it. But would you really take a guy who walks 40 times in 100 at-bats with no hits over a guy who gets 35 hits and no walks over those same 100 at-bats? One's a 400 on base percentage, one's a 350 on base percentage, but the guy who gets hits is definitely going to do more good for the team in that scenario of those 100 bats than a guy who just walks 40 times and doesn't swing it. Right. And then you mentioned in your book the two stats that I guess you would call them dirty words that in your in not I'm putting that words in your mouth it'd be launch angle for a hitter because you really are because it's like if someone says well they they can't be good they have the wrong launch angle and you showed how Mookie Betts and Christian Ellis have completely different launch angles and they both were MVPs 2 years ago. Well, launch angle is the most misused term, and then I believe it's the most misinterpreted term after it's misused. Because <laughs> the, the connotation is when they watch a game, is the launch angle is the swing itself, and that's not the case. The launch angle is nothing more than the ball coming off of the bat. So if the new school thinkers would have came in and called that exit angle, I may not have included that in my book as a chapter, but you're right, Mookie Betts, Christian Yelich, Two entirely different launch angles in 2018. Yelich with a 4.9, Mookie Betts with an 18.4, and yet Christian Yelich at 36 homers and Mookie Betts at 32. So to try to come up with this idea that someone worked or improved his launch angle in the offseason is pretty much ridiculous in my way of thinking because did you improve it to go up or did you improve it to go down? And the assumption is higher is better. You can hit three fly balls to the catcher. You'll have a launch angle of 90 degrees, and you'll be 0 for 3 with three <laughs> flyouts to the catcher. You're leading the league in launch angle, and you're 0 for 3 with three flyouts to the catcher. And then the other word that you, that is, I guess, a dirty word is for pitchers. We're going to go on them is the spin rate. And like your, and your comment about the spin rate is that it's this obsessive, uh, of, you know, the, the set, the, the new school loves the spin rate. And you made a comment in the book, like there's people with great spin rates that are in single A ball. Yes. And, and the idea, look, spin rate is a tool and I would use it as a tool. But the problem is once again, once we get one of these fancy new terms, Everybody wants to use it, abuse it, and then it becomes the norm, and people don't understand why they're necessarily using it. Or a listener at home sitting there going, oh, he has a really good spin rate. That must be it. No. First of all, first and foremost, strike one's the best pitch in the game, and pitchers who can throw strike one, regardless of their spin rate, quality strike ones, are going to be ahead of the game. But I saw Cal Eldred, pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers back in my day, when I was out in Arizona recently, and I came up to him and I said, hey, Cal, you threw high fastballs and only threw 90 miles an hour. How did you do that without knowing what your spin rate was? Of course, there was very sarcastic uh, connotation to my question, and Cal Eldred said, well, because the hitters popped it up or swung and missed it. 
And we <laughs> at the old school have this old adage, the hitters will let you know what you can and cannot do. And in Cal Eldred's case, he didn't need someone that could, you know, perfectly calculate his four-seam spin rate. He knew his fastball was different than other guys living upstairs, so therefore he threw it. And then the other pitching stat that, that we talked about briefly a little bit is about wins. And I, I loved your chapter because that was what I was talking like my most favorite chapter in the book is that like wins are important. And you and you reference about the year between DeGrom who had ten wins and Scherzer eighteen. And then you and you talk about in terms of even the World Series this past year with Scherzer and Strasburg and, and back to the play the, the pitchers that I remember, Fernando Valenzuela, who maybe didn't have the perfect stuff and would give up twelve hits in a in a nine inning game but only give up one run. The idea is that yeah, wanting to win a game is really important and that there you got to give credit to someone who actually wants to stay in that game and get that win yeah and in DeGrom's case look the past few years um, the Mets hitters just have not given him anything and I do believe in other numbers I do believe in ancillary numbers that that aid into it and I do say in the book that I'll concede the win doesn't matter as much as it once did and that's part of the reason because the teams don't use their pitchers the same way uh, the starting pitcher doesn't seem to go long enough to qualify. The bullpen can give it up, although I do believe that's a little bit in the um, minority category as far as uh, reasons why it shouldn't matter. But the guys that can stay in the game and the guys that refuse to lose need to be acknowledged. And I think what happens with some of the new way of thinking is it's all about the ancillary numbers. And it's okay if you win or lose as long as you throw a quality start. And I so disagree with that because if you're winning by one and you hang a slider with first and second and a one-two count and give up a three-run homer and now you're losing by two and you come off the field and say, oh, but I had a quality start, (laughs) that's maybe not a guy that you want on your team. So guys who know how to maybe not necessarily win anymore, but the guys who refuse to lose are the ones I like. Well, I mean, it's funny because we talk about it in other sports now, and it's also even given so much credit for basketball. It's like, oh, LeBron doesn't hit the shot at the end of the game like Jordan did. Like, we give so much credit for the who's going to hit the game-winning shot in, in basketball and who's going to lead the drive in football. You could have a terrible game and as a quarterback, but if you lead that fourth-quarter drive and win, then that's all it's always. So it's funny that you're saying it's not as important in baseball or, or totally dismissed, whereas in the other sports right now, it's given, oh, that's a winner. that we want, we want the guys who hit the game-winning shots and lead the game-winning drives. Well, there's certain um, thought process as, as well within, within the new school is um, there is no clutch. You know, those things don't matter. <laughs> well, we know from watching sports that that's not necessarily true. And Derek Jeter comes to my mind. He basically played a full season of postseason ball. You know, he played so many games in the postseason that his at-bats were like a full season in the regular season. And yet Derek Jeter's average – was better in the postseason than it was during his career. And that'll tell you that there are certain guys that can rise to the occasion and get things done when you have to. So just because you can't measure what is necessarily classified as clutch, don't discount it just because you can't measure it. We're talking to Billy Ripken, uh, author of State of Play, the old school guide to new school baseball on Iron Sports 95.9, 106.9, the true oldies, and the book is from Diversion Books. And, and to, to compare it against the golf match, where we just had the Honda Classic here in West Palm Beach, uh, everyone knows in golf, I mean, making those putts, it's a lot harder to make a 10-foot putt when you have a million dollars on the line than when you at the, at, on Thursday at the opening round of a tournament. 
Well, I think anybody that's ever been out on a golf course knows that they're, when you're on the green, and even if you're just playing with friends in a foursome, and you got a little bit of glue on maybe some uh, skins or whatever, you're standing over a four-foot putt, and uh, you're feeling the pressure of doing that. So it takes different individuals to be able to separate themselves at certain moments. And golf is a great example. The free throws in basketball or the last shot's a great example. And the quarterback, who do you want the ball in, in the hands of which quarterback coming down the stretch? Because some guys refuse to lose and some guys kind of, yeah, maybe it wasn't my day. And I don't think I want the maybe it wasn't my day guy. <laughs> Um, and then also your book is great. I, I loved how you talked about the shift and about the evolution of the shift. And you said, boy, we've, been, we've had the shift for a while. And, and you also talked about how people change. Like Joe Madden, when he was the Rays, used the shift more than anybody. And with the Cubs, used it the least. So talk about the shift a little because in whether and maybe even an idea, should the shift be banned? Because that's one of the uh, Rob Ranford is considering that uh, option. Well, I certainly don't think the shift needs to be banned because I don't think I'm one of the uh, few maybe that don't think the shift works near as well as everybody claims it. So, like you said, the shift was not invented by the new school. Now, the shift gone wild has been invented by the new school. But I look in my book where the BABIP, which is a new school term, batting average on balls put in play, the average back in 2012 when 4,000 overshifts were played compared to the batting average on balls put in play in 2019 when 40,000 overshifts were in play, is virtually identical. So if the batting average on the ball put in play, and I'm not counting home runs because that's not what this is about. So no strikeouts, no home runs, no walks. A ball put in play is the only thing the overshift can affect. And if the batting average is the same with 40,000 overshifts compared to 4,000 overshifts, that tells me league-wide that even if you're hurting one big donkey somewhere, and you take 40 points off of his average, you're giving 20 other guys two points because the league-wide average says it's a push. (laughs) And then the other example I gave was Freddie Freeman, Cody Bellinger, and Anthony Rizzo, big left-handed hitters that usually the overshift is applied to. That seems to be the norm. Those three guys, through the 2018 season, roughly at about 700 plate appearances, um, with the overshift applied against them hitting, which is a full season, if you want to term it that way. Their career averages against the overshift are higher than their career average during the shift. But they keep shifting so against them. I it's a- <laughs> don't need, a, a, need to see this overshift banned. I think there are players that can make the adjustment and do things. And even if it does hurt one guy badly, it's helping 20 or 30 guys very uh, moderately because the overshift in the and the overall league-wide Babbitt has virtually stayed the same from 2012 to 2019. So, so Bill, I, Billy, I, I follow baseball a lot. I know a lot about the history. You, I think your story about the designated hitter was, I, mean, I did not know that. And if you mind, could you just tell our listeners about why we don't have the designated hitter in the National League? Because I didn't realize how close we came in the National League to have a designated hitter. And if Bill Giles, I guess, would have listened to his direction, we would have never, this would not even be a debate right now. Because Ruley Carpenter went fishing, and, and they didn't have cell phones back in the day. So when the American League adopted the DH, if we would have had cell phones or Ruley Carpenter of the Phillies didn't go fishing, I believe that we would have had the DH way back when 
And if you remember, when the American League did take on the DH, it was listed as a three-year experiment. Well, clearly we know that three years has gone way farther than three years. But my other point with the DH is the National League in baseball is the only league that has the pitcher hit. And the reason why I say it's the only league, if you go to Japan, there's a DH. Korea, DH. If two AAA teams are playing each other in the United States, clubs have options to use DH, and sometimes they do. Double A, it's just DH. A ball, DH. College, DH. High school, DH. So if the National League is the only league in the world that has the pitcher hitting, I think it's time that we come across and we apply the same rules between the National League and the American League so we can stop this um, little bit of insanity, as I would call it, with the pitcher still hitting in that league. We're talking to Billy Ripken, the author of State of Play, The Old School Guide to New School Baseball from Diversion Books. Amazing book, a great book. It's not just full of stats and everything. It is just great analysis. And if you sort of are harken back to the days of where you like when baseball, when you understand what wins are and runs batted in and that stuff, you understood those stats. He really shows why they're still important. So, Billy, I guess we do have to turn to something you didn't address in the book would be the Astros and, and even the Red Sox, too, about the sign stealing and, and your opinion on, on both the Astros and Red Sox and, and what that, what, how prevalent it was in the game and how much you knew that people were, you know, were doing that at the time. Well, we'll leave the, uh, the Red Sox alone simply because that still hasn't been kind of brought out. But the Astros certainly went above and beyond uh, the normal sort of kind of sign stealing. And the only reason I'm saying the normal kind of sign stealing so, say back in the day, if we were playing against, let's just say, the Milwaukee Brewers when they were still in the American League East, um, you kind of looked across the field. You looked at the manager. You looked at the third-base coaching box. Yes, you looked at the catcher when you were on second base, but that was kind of you against them, team against team, individual against individual. And I equate this to that's where you were looking for poker players' tells. Were they giving you anything out of them being careless? And the Astros took it to poker player tells to being in the saloon in the Old West and hanging a big mirror behind the guy <laughs> he's playing poker with, and he's looking into the mirror to see his cards. And I think that we would all agree, if you're looking at a poker player trying to find his tells, that's competing. But if you're flat-out cheating and you've got a mirror up there and you're looking at it and you're getting it real time, there's just something that went way over the line right there. And I do think the commissioner's office, I think they did a really good job when they handed down the year-long suspension to the manager and the general manager of the team. I didn't think he was out of place with his uh, directive that he sent out earlier in 2017, excuse me, that he could go after the players. And I think he just left that alone. But let's be very clear, the punishment that the individual players are receiving is going to be ongoing for the next three, four years of their career. And the 2017 Astro Championship is going to be discussed in the next 30 years as being tainted. So I think the commissioner's office did what they could do at that point in time. I think the players had to be given some immunity so they could get to a certain point where they got a lot of information. And I do think once the Red Sox thing is over, uh, baseball is going to be better for it because the commissioner's office and the Players Association should get together and they should have clear 
uh, punishments moving forward if something like this ever happens again. Well, no, I agree with you 100%. I, I felt like the commissioner did handle well. I thought got unfairly criticized. He couldn't uh, put any punishments on the players. And you saw what happened with the Saints scandal, the New Orleans Saints, when Roger Goodell tried to punish the Saint players for the bounty gate. And then it just ended up in, in arbitration. And finally, Paul Tagliabue had to come in and, and handle it. Is there any, do you have any uh, opinions on should, they, should the trophy be vacated, the World Series trophy? You know, I can't do that because then I think the commissioners open up Pandora's box on going through record books and striking this and deleting that. I, I think they are what they are. Um, the Astros team won the 27 World Series. The fact that this investigation came out now, I just can't turn back time and go ahead and take that from them. Um, the fact that we're going to be talking about this 20, 30, 40 years down the road um, everybody's going to have their opinion on their uh, tainted title. And the individual players themselves, their reputation took a large hit moving forward. So for, just pretend that one player starts the year 0 for 20 out of the gate for the Houston Astros. That opens the door for people to say, well, they don't know what's coming. They can't hit. Now take it further. One player gets out of the gate 15 for 20. Someone's going to say they found new ways to cheat. So I'm pretty sure that the individual players are going to be wearing this for quite some time. I agree. I agree. We're talking to Billy Ripken's State of Play, the old school guide to new school baseball based on diversion books. I think it's going to be available on Amazon and all the bookstores. And it's a great book. You definitely, I, I read it today. It's a phenomenal book. I guess one last question, Billy, before we let you go is we're down here in West Palm Beach and we have a lot of good teams in terms of the Astros. And we talked about uh, the Marlins, which hopefully are trying to be a little bit better and the Cardinals. But uh, I think the uh, Washington and Nationals have not, the scandal has sort of diminished, or people are not talking about what kind of run the Nationals had last year, their playoff run, the World Series. Uh, talk about a little about what happened last year with the Nats, and maybe they should get a little more love and, and more discussion, because it seems like we're only talking about the Astros and the, the, the team they share their spring training park with. Well, they should get some love, and they're probably the only team that's not annoyed with the Astros, because they took care of business. <laughs> And beat them. But I will say this, when the start of the playoff season started last year, I was up there on our usual prediction show right before the, it started. And I picked the Nets to win the whole thing um, out of the wild card spot. Got really lucky because they got by Milwaukee. But the reason why I liked them was the reason why they should be getting some love. They got some big donkeys that stand on the mound that go out there and get after it. And they put a lineup out there that refused to succumb, shall we say, to some of the new school and thinking that a strikeout's just an out. And I think it was very evident during the postseason how they pitched and how they went out there and battled at home plate every at-bat, never giving up an at-bat. Um, Rendon getting boring sack flies during the uh, postseason, uh, which are ribbies, by the way and doing his thing. So it was so much fun to watch those guys. And, yes, you're right. Some of all the controversy that's surrounding, you know, this investigation that the Astros went through, the investigation now that the Red Sox are going through, um, I think the Nats kind of like this because they're laying low. And I think they're pretty poised in a very tough NL East division again because the Braves got a little bit – well, Braves are that Braves. They didn't necessarily get better because they lost Donaldson. But the Phillies and the Mets both did. So I think that's a really strong division, but there's no reason to think the Nats aren't at the top of that list as far as that conversation goes. They're really good. 
We've been talking to Billy Rickens, uh, the author of State of Play, Old School Guide to New School Baseball on Iron Sports 95.9, 106.9. Uh, thanks a lot, Billy, for coming on the show. We'd love to have you back another time. And, and uh, hopefully, I mean, this book was great. So start writing some more books so we can we can have you back on. <laughs> Well, I tell you what, I appreciate it. And you send me the invite, dude. I'll come back on your show. 